Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. John 12, 37 through 50. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The word of God for the people of God. How's it going? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jason Ruiz, and uh, I'm actually on staff with students here. Uh, and yeah, there you go, students in the house. And uh, this is actually my second time being able to speak here. And um, so I'm going to tell you that here's the thing. So historically, we know that uh, uh, most of the apostles were probably teenagers. And uh, so Peter was probably a little older, married. We know he was married. But most of the apostles were probably teenagers. And, uh, and I just figure, because I've done youth ministry for 23 years, like Jesus had to have a sense of humor because you can't hang out with teenage guys that much and like, you know, not have a little bit of a sense of humor. I was reminded of that sense of humor this week because uh, Caesar sent me my verses a month ago and uh, um, they were the right verses, I'll, just, I'll say that. Um, uh, but I read them, and then on Tuesday night at around 10 o'clock, I was talking to Caleb, and uh, Caleb Kareen, and I, I, he goes, hey, you ready for Thursday? And uh, I was like, yeah, man, it's gonna be good, man, I'm ready, I, my sermon's been written, I, it's like a week and a half ago I was done. And uh, he goes, cool, what are you gonna talk about? And I said, um, and I kind of ran down what I was gonna talk about, and he goes, hmm, Maybe you want to like uh, listen to my sermon from last week because it sounds like you're going to hit some of the same points. And I go, oh, okay. I said, huh, that's weird. I said, "Uh, must have been, I don't know, maybe it's a mistake, maybe something. Long story short, uh, I found out on Tuesday night that I had prepared for the wrong verses. So, um, So we're 36 hours in, taking some notes. 
Jesus still has a sense of humor, and, uh, and uh, we're just going to trust him tonight, okay? So, uh, but I would like to say publicly, because I know that these things are recorded, I just want to thank Caesar for giving me some of the most difficult verses in the Gospels. We're going to talk about God hardening hearts and blinding eyes and so yeah, I mean, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be good all the way around. Like, I feel really good about tonight. So uh, yeah, I trust him. So, uh, uh, so here we go. All right, so um, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of, there's an old hymn, it's not so old, maybe about 40, 45 years old. It was written by an artist uh, named Chris Christopherson. It was a song called Why Me Lord. I don't know if any of y'all ever heard that song, uh, but it, it basically says, uh, why me, Lord, uh, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? Now, theologically, the answer is nothing. You did nothing, Chris Christopherson. If the Lord loves you, you didn't do anything to earn it. He just poured his grace out on you, and, and that's awesome. Uh, but uh, he shows his love for us in all kinds of verses in the Gospels, including the difficult verses, okay? So we're gonna deal with some difficult verses tonight, but I know that God's glory and Christ's love for us can be seen through these verses. <clears throat> I kind of like the difficult verses. I, for me personally, there's some verses that are scary, some that are difficult. I don't know if you've ever read Matthew 7, but in Matthew 7, I've always said these are the scariest verses in the Gospels. Because in Matthew 7, uh, verses 21 through 23, it talks about that there, Jesus actually says, there will be many on that day when I come back, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And I will say that I never knew you, away from me. And like, to me, that's scary, okay? Because he says that many will be in that category. He actually says that many will say to him, didn't I know you? And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. Many will hear that, who are just sitting in churches doing church things. And they think they have this relationship with the Lord and yet they really just have a relationship with religion. That's scary to me. These verses aren't scary. They're difficult. They're maybe hard to hear. They're maybe hard to understand, but here's the thing. The verses tonight are plain and they're true. And hopefully by the end of this, we'll actually see in these difficult verses just how much God loves us, how deeply he loves us. I actually wanna walk backwards through these verses. So Jacob just read the verses for us and I actually wanna walk backwards. If you've got a Bible that has uh, the words of Jesus in red letters, um, you'll realize something about this, uh, these passages here, uh, starting in 44 to 50. These are actually the last words that Jesus says publicly, okay? There's the last words he says publicly. And then from chapter 13 on, it's all private. It's all private conversations with his disciples in rooms. And, but these are the last words that Jesus says publicly. And I think there's something significant about that. Like when I was just a, a little bit younger, I actually took a group of students to go see Billy Graham. And uh, I, I, 
At the time, honestly, I was young. I was like, uh, I'm 48 now. I was like 25 then, 26. I took this group of students to go see Billy Graham. And honestly, I just didn't appreciate it like I should have. Because it's like, I didn't think about like, I may never see Billy Graham again. Like, I should have really listened more. Because like, Billy was getting older and you know, he was America's preacher and like, here I was sitting in a stadium in Louisville, Kentucky, listening to Billy Graham, and I was like there more for like third day, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, like I was there more for the bands than I was for Billy. And I thought later like, wow, that was really foolish, because that would have been smart to listen to Billy's, kind of some of his last words, because there's some weight. When someone thinks that they may be gone soon, They're gonna say things that have meaning. If you've ever sat by uh, the bed of someone who's dying and they start to say their last words, like there just gets to be some weight with those words and you really wanna listen. And these are Jesus's last words publicly. I've often pointed out to students that, uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, Genesis actually wasn't the first book written historically, okay? Like, historically, like in the way they were written, Job was actually the first book written. And it was written about 400 years before Genesis. And I've always thought it was really interesting that the first thing God wanted anyone to know about him Like, God inspired someone to write the book of Job, and this is the first thing, 400 years before anything else, God wants people to know, I'm sovereign over suffering. And not only am I sovereign over every suffering you go through, I'm sovereign over the bear and over the deer and over the lightning and over the hail and over the Leviathan. I'm sovereign over the birds of the sky. I'm sovereign over the wind and the rain. I'm sovereign over everything. There is nothing that goes on on the face of this planet that I am not sovereign over. That's the first thing God wants us to know about him. And then Jesus, the son of God, these are the last words he wants us to know before he goes to die. So let's start in John 12, 44. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus once again is establishing, I'm God. Once again, the last thing he wants us to know is that I, if you see me, you see the Father because the Father's the one who sent me. This just echoes back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It echoes back to the very chapter that I preached on the first time I was here, John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. One of the last things that, God want, that Jesus wants us to know is I'm God. I'm God. So apart from I am God, apart from the one who sent me and myself, we are one. He says, I have come into the world as light 
so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So he tells us his identity, I'm God. Remember, these are the last things he wants us to know. I'm God, and then here's my purpose. I came into this world to lead people out of darkness. I'm light, and if you follow me, I lead people out of darkness. This is his purpose. He's saying, listen, I'm the way out of everything dark in this world. Just follow me because I'm God and I'll lead you out of the darkness that you've lived in for so long. And then he goes from his identity to his purpose to a command. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He's not here to judge us. But while he was here, he spoke a word. He spoke a commandment that was given to him by the Father. And the Father sent him to bring salvation and life and light. He says, it doesn't mean there won't be a judgment. I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you. But I do come with a commandment. And if you don't wanna follow me, there will be a judgment. Because you'll be judged by the command that I gave you if you don't want to follow. So if you don't want to believe, know that you will be judged. But what's the commandment? The commandment that he came with from the Father was believe in the Son. It's kind of simple. It's like, so Jesus comes, he says, hey, listen, I'm God. Follow me and I'll lead you out of darkness. And here's the command. Just believe in me. Believe in me. That's the commandment. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 6, 28 and 29 says, then they said to him, I love this because the Pharisees were always looking for, and this is our hearts too, by the way, they're always looking for what they should do to please God. They say, hey, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. So the commandment is believe in the Son. And if you don't wanna believe in the Son, the Son won't judge you, but his word will. And you will be judged. These words will be your judge on the last day. And then he ends with a promise. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. If you do trust him, if you do believe, if you do follow him out of darkness, he says, there's eternal life to be had. There's eternal life. So his last message publicly is to stand before the people and say, look, I'm God. Follow me out of darkness. The commandment of my father is believe in me, the son. If you don't believe, I won't judge you, but you will be judged. You'll be judged by the commandment. But my father has given you a way to have eternal life by following me. I've told you that openly, so if you don't follow, you will remain in darkness and you will be judged. But 
the Father's giving you a way out. Believe in the Son. This is the final message. This is the last message. And I gotta I'll be honest, it's, it's a heck of a message. <laughs> it's a heck of a message if you listen to it. Like, Jesus is giving us everything we need in this compact little sermon. I'm God, I'm the way, follow me, and you'll have eternal life. That's all you need to know. These must have been important, important words to him. Because when he got done saying these words, he left his public ministry and went to die. He went to die. He leaves to fulfill the greatest sign of his divinity and his purpose and his love. He leaves to be beaten. He leaves to be mocked. He leaves to be hung on a cross for them and for you and me. But how did he know he would get there? How did he say this publicly and know that the cross was coming? How did he know that would happen? Because here's the thing, right? Like Jesus could have just stopped speaking publicly. Everything could have been cool. He could have met a little Jewish girl, went down the road, got married, chilled for the rest of his life, and like everything could have been great. That could have been it. Like well, he didn't have to die. He could have just kind of disappeared, moved somewhere where people aren't looking for him. But the problem is, is that he knew this because he had planned this. Job says God is sovereign over all things. He planned it before the foundations of the world. He's just said, hey, one last thing before I go. Believe in me and you can be saved. But he knew they wouldn't. He knew they wouldn't. Why? Because he had to get to the cross. But how do you plan getting to the cross? How can God be sure of that? Well, first, let's just, let's just get some context about who Jesus is and what God has already said about him, okay? In Luke 2, verse 34, we meet a man named Simeon. Now, Simeon is a prophet, and he's been told by God, hey, look, you're not gonna die until you see the Messiah, okay? So, like, I promise you, you'll be alive, you're gonna see the Messiah, and then you can die. So you'll know the hope's come. So, in Luke 2.34, Simeon finally sees Jesus. He's brought to be circumcised, and he sees Jesus, and he knows he's the Messiah, and he says this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, he says to Mary. And John says in his first chapter, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It had been foretold that they would not receive him. It had been foretold that he would be appointed for the fall of many in Israel. Many would fall because he came. He was appointed for a sign that is opposed. He's going to be opposed and a sword will pierce his own mother's heart. Simeon the prophet was going, look, 
bad things are gonna happen to him. So this was the plan. He's an infant and the prophet is going, he's gonna die and it's gonna hurt. Get ready, Mary, get ready. Because your heart's gonna be pierced at what you see your son go through. It's appointed. Jesus was appointed to this. That word appointed, it literally means to be determined to already be decided. This is the plan. He's going to be rejected. Many in Israel are going to fall. They will not believe, they will oppose him and they will kill him. Peter says in the first sermon ever preached about Jesus, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was appointed, it was determined, it was already decided that Israel would oppose Jesus and kill him. It was the definite plan of God that they would not believe. God not only knew they wouldn't believe, because it says by the foreknowledge of God, he not only knew they wouldn't believe, he planned for their unbelief. So let's get into these difficult verses. That, that I gotta be honest, the more I looked at these, it's like, this is beautiful. It's not gonna seem like it when we first start because it's gonna offer all kinds of questions up. Like, hold it, what, what, what kind of God do we serve? But it's a God who loves, and it's a God who cares, and it's a God who is sovereign over all things. The difficult verses, let's, let's do this. The, verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Listen, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. John says they didn't believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, that means because they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded, who? He. He has blinded their eyes. Jesus. We'll find out why that is in just a second. Jesus has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This is why we know it's Jesus. Because John said that Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, whose glory? Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Isaiah saw Jesus and he said, he has hardened their hearts, he has blinded their eyes. Why? Because if he didn't, they would understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But that wasn't the plan. How did God plan Jesus' rejection? John actually gives us a glimpse because you gotta remember that uh, pretty much in, in Jewish history, people learned the Old Testament inside and out, okay? So when you quote one part, 
People kind of know the context around that. And so John has given us a glimpse into why this rejection happened and how God planned it by quoting these two specific Isaiah verses. The first he quotes is Isaiah 53, one. Lord, who has believed what, we heard, what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now here's the thing. We all know Isaiah 53 if you've been in the church for any amount of time. Isaiah 53 is the beautiful Isaiah chapter about the suffering servant and Jesus who was rejected for us and died for us and he'd be lifted up and he bore his burden so that we could be healed. By his stripes we are healed. So Isaiah 53, one, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What he's saying here is, Isaiah 53 is about a lowly servant. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So God is actually saying through Isaiah, he was despised and rejected by men. Why? He had no form, no majesty. John's saying there was nothing about Jesus that was particularly nice. God knew that Israel would be looking for a powerful king, one who stood like Saul, a strong man. Israel would be looking for somebody to come and save them from Rome, to take things over. A good looking man, a strong man, a man who was gonna lead armies. That's who Israel would be looking for. And God knew if he comes low, if he comes gentle, they won't accept him, they'll reject him. They wanted someone who was gonna save them from Rome. So he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for, so they would reject him. God knew they would reject a low king. God knew they would reject a king without form or majesty. And then he quotes Isaiah 6.10. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. God shows Isaiah his greatness. If you remember Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah goes and actually stands before God. And it's like the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's like this is an amazing scene of God's majesty and greatness and his power. And then God says to Isaiah, go preach. No one's gonna listen to you. Go tell them of how great I am. No one's gonna listen to you. So God knew if I send them low, they're not gonna listen because they don't want a low king. They don't want a pitiful king that's not good looking and not strong and not one that can lead with power. But here's the thing, they also don't want a great king. They don't want a king that's too powerful. They don't want a king that's gonna be stealing their glory. And how do we know that? Because John actually tells us, nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man 
more than the glory that comes from God. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So the people would reject a man who didn't live up to their idea of greatness. They didn't want a lowly man from humble beginnings and they didn't want a man who would outshine them because they love the glory of man. And John is saying by quoting these two verses, God knew Israel wouldn't accept a Messiah that wasn't strong and handsome and powerful and they wouldn't accept a Messiah who was greater than them. Now, get that in your head. God foretold these things. He planned them. He knew the kind of Messiah Israel would reject. He knew if I send a certain type of Messiah, they will reject him. Now some might argue, man, then why didn't God like send somebody else? Because like, isn't God like wanting to save people and like wanting people to believe and wanting people? Yeah, but here's the thing. The cross had to happen. And so God, the Father, sent his son gentle and lowly and unattractive so that people would reject him. And he sent him full of power to heal the sick and raise the dead and calm the storms so that they would reject him for overshadowing their own greatness. God knew their hearts would be hard to one who stole their glory he knew their eyes would be blind to one who didn't look the part. So God purposefully sent his son gentle and lowly and full of power so that their hearts would be hard towards him and so that their eyes would be blind to him. But why would God do that purposefully? Why would he do that? Why would he send Jesus? Because it actually says it actually says, John quotes the verse, it actually says, because if they saw and they heard, they would turn. God knew they would turn and I would actually heal them. But he sent a savior purposefully for them not to turn, not to be healed because their healing wasn't the plan. Jesus' death was the plan. Jesus had to die. They had to reject him. They had to want him dead. They had to betray him. They had to beat him and mock him and nail him to a cross so that you might live and so that I might live. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. They had to reject him. There's a verse in Revelation, Revelation 13, eight, it says, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before, before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Some translations translate that. It says, before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. Before the foundations of the earth, before God said, let there be light, before Adam and Eve ate the fruit, before the first wave rolled, 
before anything was done, when it was formless, before anything had happened, God had already planned to send his son. That's what that verse is saying. He had already planned to make a way for us to one day be with him, to know him fully, to experience the joy of knowing him fully and being known. Jesus came gentle and lowly, powerful and glorious. He blinded the eyes of Israel so that they would not see. He hardened their hearts so they would not believe, so that he could take our sins and the wrath we deserved. He blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would hang him on a tree for you and me. That he would do this for you and me should humble us. It should humble us. There are those who would hear the message that God did all this for me, I must be pretty special. No, God did all this for you. He's pretty special. This should humble us. It should drive us to our knees. The fact that he would go to such impossible lengths for you and me should cause us to weep and say with the hymn writer, why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve the kindness you've shown? Why me? The answer is nothing. We've done nothing. We don't deserve his love, but he loves us still. And he was willing to send his son, gentle and lowly and full of power, so that his own people's hearts would be hardened so that they would kill him. And Isaiah 53 says, it was his pleasure to crush his son for us. He loves us that much. Listen, I, I can sit up here all day and say, God sent his son and put him on a cross for you. How, how loving is that? The Bible says that's foolishness to the Gentile. But how much more to know that he looked at his own people and actually hardened their hearts and blinded their eyes for you he let some not believe so that he could save many. He let some be condemned so that you could be saved. <laughs> like, that goes so far beyond the unfathomable. To know that our God is a God of impossible love like that but I'm here to tell you that he loves you that much and he loves you still. Jesus had to go to the cross and the sovereign God of Job who's sovereign over all things made sure that it happened by sending Jesus gentle and lowly 
and full of power. And that Jesus loves you. So let us just take that in. The band's gonna come back up. Let us just take that in. The Father's love is so amazingly deep for us. That's the first line of the song, how deep the Father's love for us. I mean, I just feel like it ought to be a little deeper after reading John that way. Like whatever, whatever, wherever we thought God's love was for us, I just feel like it ought to be a little deeper and it ought to humble us a little more. And maybe while we sing this song, that old hymn is also in our minds. Why me, Lord? Because I know I didn't do anything for this. So thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your son and doing everything necessary for him to die for my sins. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.